today we're going to have a great day. We've got something a little special planned uh, after uh, the sermon is over. And I want you to uh, stick around. I'm not going to be long. Uh, we are in the book of Genesis. And uh, we've made our way to Genesis chapter 21. We've got uh, one more, one more um, section after today. And I guess it's a good time for me to bring up the fact that next year we've got something very special planned uh, for Bridge Church. We're calling it Journey 2020, uh, doing it in conjunction with Providence, who uh, is sort of our parent uh, sending church uh, here at Bridge. And Journey 2020, we're going to go through the entire Bible together as a congregation in one year. And so there will be a reading plan, and then we'll be preaching uh, from a very high level through uh, the entire Bible next year. I think it'll be a wonderful experience. Uh, for those of you who've never sort of journeyed through all of the scriptures uh, together, it's an opportunity to do that. If you get behind, don't worry. We're going to be, uh, we're going to uh, situate this such that you can still just jump right in wherever we might be. Uh, if you happen to come in in the middle of it, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, when we have our fifth Sunday serve, which we will have this month, uh, we'll hand out reading plans on uh, that Sunday. So it'll be a great opportunity for you to be here to serve the school as well as get uh, your reading plan for the year to get started January 1. And so fifth Sunday of this month will be our fifth Sunday serve. We're gonna um, we're gonna serve the school uh, by doing some 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 things on uh, on their list that they've asked us to do. We do that every fifth Sunday, every month that there's a fifth Sunday, uh, we serve uh, in our worship uh, unto God. So um, so we encourage you to be here on that day. Let me just also say before I forget uh, that um, we are emphasizing. Uh, that we want to be a congregation of prayer. And we've got several things that we've done to try and, and um, lift this thing up. Uh, one is our prayer bridge in the back. If you look at the back table, you see uh, this uh, bridge-like thing where you can, you can stick your prayers inside of a slot. And someone will pray for you, um, will pray over what you put uh, on the bridge um, do, during this week. And then on Thursday evenings at 6.30, we join in together for prayer uh, online through Zoom. And you can do it through your phone, you can do it through the app, you can do it through your computer, uh, however you want to join, you can join in. And we all just pray together for about an hour. Uh, and it's a great time uh, for us to bring our cares before God, as well as uh, just encourage one another and, and lift one another up in prayer. And I want to encourage you all to be a part of that with us. All right, so welcome to Bridge Church. If you're here for the first time, especially, and if you're not here for the first time, still welcome. Uh, my name is Anthony Burton. I am the lead pastor here. And at Bridge Church, we are a ministry of reconciliation. Well, what does that mean? Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit today. So when we get to it, uh, we'll find out exactly what God means by ministry of reconciliation. We are 
uh, looking at the life of Abraham. And we've journeyed all the way from the beginning. Uh, now we're coming up on the end of the recorded life of Abraham, toward the end anyway, uh, with regard to um, uh, the emphasis that uh, Genesis places on him. And we've titled uh, this section of Scripture, A Father of Many Nations. Uh, last week, um, we, we left off on the, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Sodom is left in complete and total uh, destruction. It's been leveled. Everything to the plants on the ground have been burnt up. Uh, uh, hellfire and brimstone raining from heaven. Sodom is out of here. And so Lot has left, and Lot gets to um, the place where he is going. Uh, his daughters are with him. Uh, his daughters, uh, their husbands have been killed uh, in Sodom. And so they decide, uh, because of the circumstance that they find themselves in, that they're going to take advantage of their dad by getting him drunk and uh, sleeping with him. And then uh, both of them get pregnant, and they get pregnant with two sons. Uh, one is Moab, and uh, the other is Benamin, and he is the father of the Ammonites. And these uh, two men cause um, Israel uh, issues for generations. And so Lot's life uh, is a troubled one, uh, yet we know that he is saved uh, by the Lord. The scriptures in First Peter tells us that uh, Lot is considered to be a righteous man, uh, but he is not a righteous man without lots of issues, right? And so then uh, we fast forward a little bit because I'm going to skip this section of the scripture. And Abraham, after the, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, heads back toward Egypt. And as he heads back toward Egypt, he runs into uh, a, a man, a king. His name is Abimelech. And Abraham goes on uh, to... Uh, do what he is familiar with to represent his wife as his sister because he's afraid that he's going to be killed because of, I assume, the beauty of his wife. Now, Sarah is uh, 90 years old at this point in time. Abraham is 100. Uh, she's on the verge of um, uh, uh, giving, uh, conceiving and giving birth to their uh, new son. And uh, Abimelech comes to Abraham, and he scolds him for his dishonesty. And Abraham sort of says, well, she is my sister, sort of like she's my father's daughter, but not my mother's daughter, right? But she's also my wife. I just neglected to tell you uh, that part. And, and Abimelech is like, get out of here, man. I don't want anything to do with you. And he gives him silver. He gives him cattle. He gives him servants. Uh, and before leaving, Abraham prays for the women of Abimelech's house uh, so that they began to uh, conceive and have children. Now, that leads us to where we are today. Uh, last week, we, you know, I, I kind of mentioned uh, this idea of God being faithful. And it occurred to me as I was preparing that... Um, this section of scripture, like the, the idea of God being faithful just keeps coming back to me over and over and over again, 
right? But we seem to talk more about Abraham's faith, right, uh, than anything else. But it occurred to me as I was preparing the reason why the idea of a- that uh, the idea of God's faithfulness keeps coming back to me is because the whole story, the whole saga, is really centered not on Abraham's faith, but God's faithfulness. It really is. From the moment that Abraham encounters God, God makes Abraham a promise. And so we see throughout the rest of the story sort of how this promise plays out in the life of Abraham. Now, today I want to talk about God's faithfulness in terms of God always being there uh, for us when we need him, when we don't need him. He is faithful uh, to be exactly who he says he is. God is faithful. Abraham is the father of many nations, and to a lesser degree, because of his faithfulness, to a lesser degree, that is because of his faithfulness that he is a father of many nations. And it is to a greater degree that God is faithful to his promises as to why Abraham is the father of many nations. So look with me, if you will, Genesis chapter 21. We're going to read a large section, verses 1 through 19. Um, And let me just say this before we read uh, Genesis 21, 1 through 19. Uh, The key to remembering that God is faithful is to understand that, one, he doesn't always act in the way that we want him to. And two, he doesn't always act when we want him to. But remember that he is faithful. So look at Genesis chapter 21, verse 1 through 9. Keep those two uh, thoughts in mind. The Lord visited Sarah. As he has said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abram, Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son, Isaac, when he was eight days old, because that was the command of God. As God had commanded him, Oh, there it is. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have born to him a son uh, in his old age. Now, remember the last time we see Sarah, Sarah is mocking really God for telling her that she's going to have uh, a son in her old age. And her laughter is one uh, that uh, the angel of the Lord, uh, bring. uh, he he confronts her about it, right? But now, after she's actually had the child, she has this joy. Who would have ever thought that I would have had a child at my age and my husband at his age? Age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, 
whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And so Ishmael seems to have suffered uh, from the same spirit as his mother uh, when she got pregnant with uh, Ishmael. She sort of had uh, Sarah in contempt. Uh, we don't know why. The Bible doesn't tell us why. But here, the boy Isaac is being weaned, and Ishmael sort of has the same spirit about himself. And it makes Sarah mad to the point where she's like, no, 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 no. We're not going to have this not in my house. Abraham on account, uh, and, and the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son and of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. Now, we're, we're referring to him as child. He's 13 years old. He's a big boy at this point. Sent her away and she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him, a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And so remember that Hagar, the first time Sarah puts her out, and she's wandering through the wilderness, the desert, God comes to her then and makes her a promise and says that I will make your son into a great nation. Go back and submit yourself to Sarah. Well, this time around, uh, the promise is reiterated, but not go back to Sarah and submit yourself. But he tells Abraham to actually let her go. Let her go. Hearken to the words of your wife. And I want to, um, to hit on this idea of God's faithfulness because I see it all through uh, the passage. I see it uh, when he fulfills the promise and grants to Abraham and Isaac, uh, Abraham and Sarah a son. And then I see it when Hagar is in the wilderness and the chips are down, she's out. She doesn't know which way to turn. And God comes through for her even in that moment. 
So here's my first point. God's faithfulness means that God always keeps his promises. He always keeps his promises. Always keeps his promises. He kept his promise to Abraham and Sarah. Uh, he looked after Hagar and Ishmael because of the promise that he had made to Abraham prior to this, as well as to the promise that he made to Hagar. Abraham's story is one huge example of the faithfulness of God. Even through disobedience, God still remains faithful. Through everything, God remains faithful. It is important that God keeps his promises because his promises are connected to his word. His word is only good as his character. And so when we talk about God keeping his promises, it is a direct reflection of the character of God. It is who he is. So when you refer to him as a way maker, promise keeper, uh, you do so rightfully understanding that uh, this is who he is. He keeps his promises. He is a promise keeper. His, uh, his character and his promises are inextricably connected to one another. Uh, the word tells us in Psalm 106, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Uh, he is good, right? This is who he is and his steadfast love endures forever. Love that word steadfast like a solid rock. Doesn't go anywhere. It's not like water. You can trust, depend, guarantee, uh, walk on, stand on his word. Steadfast love. And it endures not just for the moment, not just for uh, a day, not just for a week, not for a generation. It endures forever. And so when you talk about God making promises and his promises being tied to his character, well, those scriptures tells us in terms of his character that he is good. Right? And so we can, we can bank on the fact that his promises are linked to who he is. And if he is good and his steadfast love endures forever, then I know that we can trust in the promises of God. He will keep his promises. That is who he is. His, his promises are his word. And word is only as good as the person who gives it. Well, he is good. Look at Psalm 119, 49 through 50. It says, remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. Oh, to know the promises of God, like they give life. They lift you up. When you're down, 
when you're out, when you've got nothing else to hope on. You have the word of God. And I love how the psalmist asks God to remember your word. Right? Remember what you said to me. Remember what you told me. I love how Vanetta prays, and, and I just, I'm thanking God how all of this just, just worked the way that it does because Vanetta always reminds God of what he has said. God, you said in your word that you'd never leave us or forsake us. God, you said in your word. And so God is hearing what Vanetta is saying, and he's saying, yeah, I did say that, didn't I? I did say that. Let me hold fast to it. Let me take care of it because I said it. Love it. Keeps his promises. It's okay to remind God of what he has said to us because he will hold fast to it. It's who he is. Remind him of the promises that he would never leave us off. Remind him that he has promised us abundant life. Right? Remind him that he has promised us that we would never thirst again. Remind him that he has promised us new life, that he would renew us and remake us and restore us. Remind him of his promises uh, that he would give us joy, peace that surpasses all understanding. Remind him that he said that. Remind him. Remind him that we have a living hope. Remind him that uh, he has promised to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Remind him. These are his promises. Faithfulness of God means he always keeps his promises. He kept it with Abraham. He kept it with Hagar. And he keeps it with us. And this is, this is why. Here's the second point. His faithfulness means that he, God, does according to his plans and purposes. He always does according to his plans and purposes. Oh, you're going to really like this point. The truth is Ishmael was Abraham's firstborn. The, the truth is that Sarah had no right to kick him out of the house. Ishmael had every right to not only be there, but to have an inheritance and to be considered part of the family. As a matter of fact, I was reading one commentary that, that actually stated that in that day, it would have been sacrilegious for Abraham to kick his son out of the house. Uh, Ishmael uh, did not uh, need to be um, kicked out. He had every right to actually uh, be there. He's not the first, or he is the firstborn. Yet, yet, God uh, seems to upend the custom altogether. Because it was part of his plan to do so. It was not part of his plan that I, uh, Ishmael would be considered the firstborn. As a matter of fact, God says later, as we'll see next week, 
uh, when, uh, when uh, Abraham goes to sacrifice Isaac, God tells him, I know now that you really love me because you, not, you have not withheld your only son. But God says something even more interesting in the passage itself. Abraham is in a measure of turmoil. Like Abraham knows he, he shouldn't be about kicking uh, his son out. It is, is, is weighing on him, doesn't know what quite to do. And God comes back in verse 12. He says, but God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac, your offspring shall be named. It is through Isaac that your offspring shall be named. God gives the reason for hearkening to the wife and removing Ishmael from the picture. Right here. Well, it's, it's very important because it affirms that the promise of God to the whole world is through Isaac and not through Ishmael. Ishmael would not have any claims to the promise that God has made to Abraham to bless the whole world. Ishmael wouldn't have any claims to this, and there would be no doubt about it. God is saying that my plan is that I bless the world through your seed, Isaac, not through Ishmael. Look at Romans 9, chapter 9, verse 7 through 8. Not all children, not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. He's making this very point. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Well, it sort of begs the question, because you might be asking yourself, why in the world would God uh, dismiss Isaac or Ishmael in this way? Why would he get rid of him? Why would he do what he has done? Make it okay for, essentially for Abraham to divorce his uh, handmaid Hagar and get rid of the boy. Why would God sanction this kind of thing? Well, uh, Paul asks the same question and he says uh, that two, God has compassion on whom he wills to have compassion. This is in Romans chapter 9 right after this verse. And then he says that essentially that uh, it was his plan and purpose in Isaac to elect Isaac in this way, set him apart from Ishmael. This was part of God's plan, and God was going to see through from the beginning to the end that this would uh, come about. If Ishmael could make the claim then uh, to the promise, the promise could not be fulfilled. If Ishmael was to make the claim that I am the heir, I am the firstborn, I am the rightful uh, heir to the throne, if you will, then the promises of God could not come through in the way that God uh, had made the promise. And God says, no, no, no. There will be no doubt about this thing. 
let them go. Because this is my will. And my will, because the promise is that the whole entire world be blessed through Isaac. Now, this leads me to uh, a thought. Because the promises of God in that day made to Abraham through Isaac for the whole world to be blessed, for him to become a father of many nations. That promise, that promise ultimately is the promise of Jesus Christ. That promise ultimately is the promise of Jesus Christ. From the very beginning, God is planning. From the very beginning, God is planning redemption through Jesus Christ. When he makes this promise to Abraham, he has Jesus Christ in mind. That Christ would descend from Abraham down through the line. And that he would be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Uh, that Jesus Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of the promise. Look at how God plans out his, like, his faithfulness means that he's going to stick to it from the beginning till he sees it through. He carries out the plan step, line, hook, sinker. There's no doubt about how do I know that the promise is actually Jesus Christ? Well, Galatians chapter 3, verse 16 tells us, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say an offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. And so the ultimate fulfillment of the promise is not the son Isaac, but it is Jesus Christ. And so Ishmael, one, had to be out of the picture, but two, look at how God plans these things and how he brings about his purposes. This is all connected to his faithfulness. Well, I'm going to take you another step even further because the promises that God made to Abraham was not only pointing to Jesus Christ when he made the promise, but he was also pointing to you and me. This is why he said he's a father of many nations. He had it in mind that you and I, black and white, brown and yellow, uh, rich and poor, left side of the street, right side of the street. When we talk about there being a ministry of reconciliation that seeks to call lost and broken people into relationship with God and one another and experience the newness of life in Jesus Christ that God had planned from the very beginning. And his plan would be that he would bring us all together and make us one new person in Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through 29, it says, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. And let me just say this, because I know sometimes the ladies look at it and think like some sexist language might be there. But understanding that being a son gives you a certain status before God. Because of the culture that this text is being written in, being a son means much more. And God is saying that we all now have that status of sonship uh, before God. This is how God regards us, regards us, whether, as the scripture will tell us right here, for as many as you uh, as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. 
There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. God had it in mind. His plan from the very, look at the faithfulness of God. That from the very beginning, he would make this promise that we read about way in like chapter 11 of Genesis. He makes this promise five, 6,000 years ago to this man named Abraham coming out of Mesopotamia. Go to a land that I'll show you when you get there what it is. I'm going to make you a father of many nations. I'll give you a son. When you are 100 years old, and in that promise, not only did he have Jesus Christ in mind, but he had, I am just, like he had Bridge Church in mind. That's right. Father of many nations, red and yellow, black and white. Uh, uh, Father Abraham had many sons. <laughs> many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. So are you. Young, old, black, white, yellow, brown, rich, poor, um, left side of the track, right side of the track, North Knoxville, South Knoxville, um, educated, uneducated, uh, Democrat, Republican. We all in Christ are heirs to the promise. Here's my last point, and here's where it gets uh, participatory. God's faithfulness means that God is there when you need him most. God is there. And I'm, I'm looking at the life of Hagar, and although Ishmael doesn't have, he doesn't have rights in God's eyes, the way that he has designated Isaac to have. And he tells Abraham, it's okay to dismiss her, let her go. And yet God still sees fit to take care of her. She's at her wit's end, in the wilderness. She's in the desert. And when you talk about wilderness in East Tennessee, a lot of people have envisioning, have envisioned like uh, lots of trees and and, and the Smokies, you know, this is not what we're talking about when we speak about the wilderness. We're talking about desert, hot, sands, nowhere to go, no water. And God is there when she needs him most. He is an ever-present help in the time of trouble. God is faithful to be there for you. Those who are children of the promise, right? For you, God is faithful to be there when you need him most. When you need him most. Have you ever been there where you just didn't know where to turn? You're like Hagar in the wilderness. Your water has run out. And you're like, God, I need you. If I don't have you, I don't know where I'm going to go. And right when you need him, it's like a check comes in the mail. <laughs> Amen. Right when you need him, 
you get a phone call. Right when you need him, he sends someone your way. This is who our God is. He is faithful to be there exactly when you need him. You have to be careful that when things happen in your life, understanding that God from the very beginning is planning and that he is a sovereign ruling over your life, moving you through life, that when things happen, these things are not coincidental. Give God glory for what he is doing in our lives because he is the one who makes it happen. Right? If water appears in the wilderness, it's not just because water just happened to be there. It's because God is faithful. If you got that check in the mail and you was needing that money, it's not because somebody just happened to put a check in the mail. It's because God is faithful. If you're going through something and you get a word just in time to help you through, we understand that it is not just a coincidence, but it is because God is faithful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you might be taking that medication and it's improving your condition, but understand that the body and its intricacies and how it works and develops and all that it's doing is being guided by the hand of God. He is faithful. He is faithful that you would even react to the medicine in the way that your body is reacting. If your kids come to their senses, it's because God has re he's opened their eyes. Like it's important that we give him glory for these things. And so I want to take some time I'll start us off. Do we win? Oh, ah, ah, it's killing me. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll just tell my story. I, we'll do one. Okay. So I, one person, any person, I would like for someone to give a testimony about the goodness of God and who he is and what he's done for you in your life. Let's make it a good one. One person who's willing to give a testimony. And I'll start us off real quick. I'll make it really, really quick. Uh, we, had some, we, we, just, we moved to South Knoxville about a year ago. We had someone move into our old house, and they were supposed to do a lease purchase agreement. Um, <clears throat> I told them before they moved in, I do not have the money to keep both payments. I don't make enough money to keep both payments. I need you to be faithful with the rent. I need you to buy the house at the end like you agreed to buy it. Well, it didn't work out. The person got behind on the rent several months and eventually moved out, and we had to put the house on the market through that whole time. Not, not one time, not one time did we get behind on either payment. And I know that it's nothing but the Lord. It's one of the things like you just keep dipping in the bag for food, and food just keeps coming out. It just keeps coming out. It's like, where... Like, are we going to get to the bottom soon? But God has been so faithful in this particular situation uh, for sure. And so I just wanted, I wanted God to get glory for that circumstance because I know that it was his faithfulness that has carried us through uh, thus far. Not one payment. And I don't make any more money. And me and my wife sat down before it was all before we even went down this path, and we understood that if no money was coming in, 
this payment would not get made. And we haven't missed one payment. God is good. God is good. One story. One story. Somebody, please. All right. A year ago, uh, in October, the Lord had told my husband and I to step down from pastoring a church in Nashville, and the Lord told us it was time to come up to this area, and we didn't know anybody in this area, but God is so faithful. Uh, the Word of God says that obedience is better than sacrifice. So I remember going to my coach and saying to my coach, I said, Mr. Ron, uh, the Lord is moving us up in the Knoxville area, and, you know, would I be able to work from home? Because I was working from home in Nashville, and he said to me, yes, um, you know, I'm going to have to go to the top to get this approved. He said, we've never had anybody work that far, so we're going to have to go to the top. So I started shouting because I said, this is a great opportunity for the Lord to show himself strong. And I remember sitting in my car feeling a little bit discouraged, and I said to the Lord, I said, God, if you want me to continue praying for these people, because I work at the 700 Club, I said would you approve this? And I remember my coach, he called me into the office and he said, Vanetta, you would not believe this. And I'm thinking, you won't believe this. <laughs> you know, he said, I want to let you know that they approved it for you to work from Knoxville. I'm the only representative that live in Knoxville that works two and a half hours away because most jobs want you to work at least an hour just in case if you can log on. So God is faithful and he's a prayer answering God. So thank you. <laughs> 